Back on the regular schedule, we're coming back to you at the Concast yet again today. I believe this is episode 20, which is... Uh, what? Good. Yeah, I know that's a two no. with a zero after it. Wow. I, I hadn't realized that. Yeah, I, I, I we'd just be in the teens forever. Yeah, well, we were for quite a while. <laughs> um, you know, after that super hot start that we had at the very beginning, we kind of tapered off a little bit, but uh, time makes fools of us all, Laz. Truer words. Yeah, I it's it's cool. Twenty episodes. I'm I'm not sure I. What? Oh, there he is. Hey, diddles. We were prepared to make fun of you, you know, DP style for this whole episode until yeah. you arrived. You could do that. In fact, we were kind I, of looking forward to it. Yeah, right. I, but, the, but you you can't you entered in like one minute after Josh's intro. So uh, now the tiddles has joined us. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump right into what we're playing, and he can go first. Oh, um. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Crack right into the middle of a sentence, and that's what you get. Um, there's, well, I've been making Sonic. I think that's about it. Um, I haven't been in one of these for a while, so I did play uh, 3DS Zelda A Link Between Worlds, and that was pretty super awesome, so yay. If I had a 3DS, if, okay, if I were to go out and buy a 3DS right now, it would be the first game I buy. I really would like to play that. It looks fantastic. Yeah, I agree. It's great fun. It's it's sort of it balances it right, I think, between being nostalgic and the same as Link to the Past, but also being different enough that it's new and there's different stuff to do and you don't feel like it's just replaying something you've already played. It's it's nicely balanced and I enjoyed it very much. Cool. That's uh, not yeah, such cool. an easy, that's not such an easy balance to achieve, honestly. It's, uh. No. That's, yeah. Um, it's not for most people. But yeah. for Nintendo, that's kind of their wheelhouse. They're not always well, successful, but they're successful a lot more than most people, I think. I'm sure there's people who'd argue the point, uh, one way or the other. Uh, but I certainly really thought they balanced it well. And, but, you know, I always enjoyed the new Super Mario Brothers games, you know. And, yeah, and I. People, yeah, go on, go on. I, I, I have a feeling it. I am one of these some people. Some people are finding them a bit samey these days, but and that's true. But on the other hand, it's like I don't care. I enjoy them. Just give me more of them. You can you can make New Super Mario Brothers into a FIFA annual franchise for me, and I'll just buy them <laughs> if I have the console. They're on, obviously. I, uh, yeah. I, on that note, I think I've mentioned to you that eventually I'm going to have to end up getting a New Super Mario 3D World because uh, my daughter is enamored of Princess uh, Peach as Kitty. <laughs> I um, oh okay that game is I, super fun I played that for the first time I I guess two or three weeks ago and it was we were getting really angry at each other but man that's a fun game <laughs> I Perfect. remember thinking I I didn't like 3D Land it drove me nuts uh, uh, th- is that and, the, the 3DS one you mean yeah and I sort of thought 3D World you're really making another game as a sequel to that thing. I haven't played 3D Land, but I think that the Galaxy games and 3D World are way better than New Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, to, to each his own. It's cool. I can yeah, understand it, that point of view. Uh, but I mean, I sort of... I don't see why they can't coexist in a way, as long as... No, if they, they, if they, they totally can. Made, <laughs> if they only made New Super Mario Brothers and they stopped making any kind of new innovative um, 3D games, or at least, you know, uh, kind of main series... Mero, if you like, then 
I would be a bit upset about it. But as long as they're still putting out the A-list titles and they're throwing out some old 3D stuff too, I'm happy with that. I love it when you say innovative. <laughs> that's, that just, that's how that you just, say it, That just really does it for me. <laughs> oh, calm yourself. No, I can't. <laughs> anyway, what you playing, Lass? Um, uh, right this second, actually, I am playing FTL on the PC. Right this second? Yes. It's good, good to hear you're giving this your full attention. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm paying attention. And, uh, (laughs) well, okay, this is a game that's more about management than anything else, and you can pause it at any time. But, uh, it's, it it was actually a very early Kickstarter success. It, uh, had a Kickstarter two years ago, and it launched earlier this year, and didn't scam anyone. It basically delivered on its promise. I didn't give to the Kickstarter, I bought it in the Steam Summer Sale in 2013. But basically, it's a it's sort of a roguelike where you're a ship, and you're um trying to travel across, uh, I guess the galaxy or something, or uh to uh to deliver some intel in the, in a uh, great war. And the gameplay is basically uh, managing crew, uh, like um managing your weapon systems when your uh, ship battles are basically just pointing and clicking what wh- which weapons to fire, which weapons to fix, that kind of thing. And it moves in real time most of the time, but you can uh, you can pause to gather your thoughts a little bit. And man, this game can get intense. So I've been I've playing. Recommended to me before. It's um, it sounds like it's a, a pretty awesome indie success story. Uh, it sounds a little bit too strategic managementy for me personally, but I've heard it's, it is very good if you like that sort of thing. It's highly random, and as a consequence of that, highly frustrating sometimes. It makes me think a little bit of, I played um, a lot of Frontier and First Encounters uh, back in the 90s, and I, I think they're not very well known in the States, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and they are the sequels to Elite, which unfortunately I haven't played a lot of, but is almost the progenitor of open world games as a whole. And also, interestingly, right. is not as well known in the States as perhaps it ought to be, because it was a, a very British uh, success story on largely British computers, as I recall. It's a bit more, it's a bit more kind of, it sounds to me like, um, FTL is a bit like a, a Final Fantasy to, uh, to Elite's, I don't know, um, Skyrim, or not in that, not in those kind of, not in kind of, a kind of sense of scale, but the style of play, maybe, is a bit more kind of, I don't know. That's just an impression I've got from playing neither of them, so take it or leave it. If anything, this game reminds me of Oregon Trail a little bit because you're sort of going, you're go, you're going on this journey, and random things with positive or negative consequences happen happen to you. And you know, on the way, you're trying to you know manage yeah. your resources, uh, have your people survive. I, actually, you having sold it as Space Oregon Trail makes it appeal <laughs> to me more than I thought it would before. <laughs> I'm okay, I'm okay does, with this. It sounds like something says. you find in a future armor episode, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, Space it does. Space Oregon Trail. I don't. Uh, I don't think it's that expensive. Let me let me check. It's um. Yeah, it's, you know, ten, it's I, ten bucks. It's ten yeah. bucks, and on a sale, it's probably two fifty. Yeah, I, it was definitely on the winter sale as well, and I just didn't get it then. But uh, now, maybe I will. Well, I I was telling Laz before uh, we started recording that uh, my collection of currently played games are uh, 
fairly entertaining. So uh, I, I'm sure that I'll get harassed for it. So here we go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first one is uh, that I'm still playing Minecraft a little bit with uh, a couple folks from Con and uh, still acclimating to some of the newer stuff. Uh, I'm building a castle that looks like a three-dimensional version of the Super Mario Brothers 1 castle at the moment. So uh, awesome. that's been pretty fun. Are you making uh, it out of nether bricks? Cause that's like yes, that, that's exactly what I'm making out of. Yes. Oh, I, will, I will have to come and have a, a wander around at some point and see what everyone's made, and you'll have to yeah, of course. what all stuff of is. Course. I'm, yeah. I'm really, I, I tried going into it a couple of weeks ago, and I just realized oh, I just don't have the patience. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, it's difficult. Uh, I am also currently... Well, not currently, but um, for about an hour over the weekend, I picked up uh, 13.2 again. And oh, I, no, And I really need to spend some time, like, actually grinding in that, because I keep running from boss to boss, and I end up fighting a boss for, like, the entire time I'm playing, but I can't knock it off because I don't have uh, a paradigm pack strong enough to really get the upper hand and keep it. I need so. to spend some time grinding is pretty much... That's probably the number one reason... I don't well, get back into Final Fantasy. I, the, the grinding in 13.2 is actually kind of entertaining because the grinding that you do, I think, is going to work out to be more for the monsters that you recruit more than your actual characters. And because you can recruit so many different con- kinds of monsters, you can actually, you know, grab a monster that you find hilarious for some reason and then just <laughs> train it up. Um, well, I will say that the boss that I ran into the other day is an enormous mutant tomato. Awesome. So, yeah, it was pretty awesome. And uh, my daughter kept wandering by and saying, Daddy, get the tomato. Oh, is so. that what you were talking about? Can <laughs> yeah. you recruit that? Because that would actually make it worth it. No, you can't. I would imagine that you oh. can, uh, I imagine you can recruit his smaller brethren, but I don't think you can actually recruit bosses. The theme, uh, theme of Killer Tomatoes would be kind of fun, though. And then um, the the third game, which is kind of a game but not really, that I'm playing, uh, I got a used... Wii Balance Board and Wii Fit Plus for a grand total of like 20 bucks uh, at GameStop last weekend. So earlier today I was uh, configuring the uh, the Wii Balance Board with Wii Fit and it is telling me that uh, my BMI has now elevated just to the point where I am almost overweight. So that is super exciting. Thank you Wii <laughs> for telling me I'm fat. I can't uh, actually believe you're overweight having it, it seen will... the shape of you. This does sound um, like a thrilling game. The very first thing it asked me was, you know, is getting my height and my weight to do all the measurements and stuff. And then it said, what kind of clothes are you wearing? (laughs) And the options were light clothes, about two pounds, heavy clothes, about four pounds, and then other, which was tagged as zero pounds. If you draw that to its logical conclusion, Nintendo are assuming that some people that are doing Wii Fit Plus are doing it naked. Well, naturally. Now I realize where the entertainment value of this game comes in. Well, you do, you do understand. It's, it's either going to be me entertained by trying to talk my wife into doing Wii Fit Plus naked, or it's going to be my wife laughing at how ridiculous I look doing Wii Fit Plus naked. What did you think the strap on the Wiimote was for? Oh, dear lord. Of course you had, to call it a, you had to call it a strap on, of course. <laughs> I didn't say that, I said the strap on the Wiimote. If you yeah, read anything, I know what I heard. That, I heard. that is a perfectly innocent sentence, man. If, I don't know, you, I don't know you what you're to... thinking about. If you want to apply Rule 34 to a Wiimote, I think there are lots of different directions that you're going to go well before you start dealing with the wrist strap. Look, man, Nintendo are the guys who made a system with a phallic controller called Wii. 
Don't leave me out of this. I, I just had nothing to do with it. Alright. Sure. <laughs> now, let, let Laz do the sound effects. Okay, that is better. Actually really good, yeah. <laughs> so, um... Mine was like uh, when you run Zedsnes, and before they had the update that made the sound sound right, when it used to do the wind noise in Final Fantasy. Nobody yeah, remember that? Yeah. Like, oh, exactly yeah. Was yeah. <laughs> it was so screwed up if you um if you didn't have a newer version with the right sound trip with the right sound chip in it. Yeah. <laughs> I never played the original. I had to play it on emulators, so for a while I thought that was just how it sounded. Creepy <laughs> <laughs> old game, eh? Well, uh, wow, I get it now. I'm going to let you guys actually introduce the topic for this episode because um, this topic actually kind of originated <laughs> from a conversation that you guys were having several episodes ago. Yeah. And we had that, I, I, I cut yeah. it off and said, no, no. Like, yeah, we were talking we're just... for like 45 minutes and, and we're like, whoa, we need to stop and actually talk about what we're supposed to talk about. Yeah. The but, irony but, of that is we're probably going to have trouble getting more than 20 out of it this time. Considering that we're like all actually doing other stuff, can't you just paste in the other concast at this point and then we'll just... I don't off. know where it was. <laughs> yeah, now you're putting us on the spot. We won't be able to talk at all about this. Wait, what's the final it's fantasy? preparation speech is oh, the name of the game. Pee. Preparation is the enemy. I was a science major, man. Certainly. I don't know. I, I can barely spell extemporaneous. Uh, the broad outline of what we were talking about uh, came about through comparing uh, kind of open world games, and in particular I think we started out talking about Red Dead Redemption and how that had a pretty uh, interesting story and it kind of had a depth to it that would appeal to potentially someone who liked the depth of the story in a Final Fantasy game. So we started to consider, essentially it boils down to the age-old argument that I always have, is that I'd rather play something where it feels like you're making a difference, a bit open world, a bit of choice, a bit of you can do this, or you can do that, you can be a nice guy, you can be a bad guy. And would that work in a sort of Square Enix or a Final Fantasy uh, scenario? Is that something they could integrate more of into their games? Is that a direction they should take the series? Is it something that just wouldn't work with the style that they, you know, the style of things they produce? So um, let's talk about that. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <sighs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> it's like my boss used to be like... Um, you talk to him for about five minutes about something important, and then he just turned around and looked at you really shocked and go, what? Say that again, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, so I mean, Red Dead Redemption was how we came into this, and we might as well kind of cover a bit of that ground again, I think, because it kind of leads into it quite nicely. There's often been a a kind of split, or a perceived split between, you can either have a game that is linear and has a strong story, but the story is very much on rails, there's very little choice in how it plays out and what sort of person you are and the decisions you make, or you can have an open world game where you can run around, do all sorts of crazy stuff, but maybe the story isn't all that deep or engrossing because it's so kind of, it's so branching and split and you know, overtaken by side quests and it's just a tiny bit of the whole thing and all that sort of thing. And Red Dead Redemption is something that sits somewhere between the two. It has a pretty linear overall story uh, 
and at the same time, it has very kind of open-world gameplay. Uh, the thing you'll have heard about, if you know of Red Dead Redemption and haven't played it, is that it's sort of DTA on horseback. Uh, and gameplay-wise, that's that's pretty true. Uh, and GTA V, in fact, borrows quite a few things that they introduced in Red Dead Redemption. You know, it's very much along that line of games. But the, one of the significant differences in it is a moral choice. You have the ability to gain kind of honour or dishonour um, and fame or notoriety by whether you choose to be a good sheriff-like character or a bit of a bandito, really. And somehow you have what's a pretty nice story and some pretty good characters and pretty involving stuff there, along with the fact that you feel like you are kind of playing a character the way you want to play it. And I thought this is pretty impressive. And you played it as well, haven't you, Laz? I have, yeah. That's um, right, I normally uh, don't see... I, I normally prefer the linear story experience to a uh, more open story experience. I mean, the Japanese RPGs are my favorite genre of game. But I, uh, since, I mean, I guess from GTA 3 onward, open world action games have been, have been a major trend. And they have, I mean, of course, open world RPGs have a, uh, uh, a lineage going back a long ways. But I had generally avoided that kind of experience, even though a lot of, like, I had played various GTA games at friends' houses. But the two games that, got me really interested in that kind of gameplay were Red Dead Redemption and Infamous. And I think, and you, you just talked about Red Dead Redemption at length, I think the really um, strong part of it, and the reason why I, uh, the reason, a, lar- a large reason why it's so good is that the main character of John Marston seems to fit equally well in a, in a, a bad guy role or a good guy role. Because, yeah. I mean, it, 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 small spoilers, not really. He uh, he's trying to um, he's basically being forced to uh, hunt down the members of his former gang uh, by by Pinkertons by uh, by the U.S. government to uh, in, and and then in order to exonerate himself and save his family that they're that they're keeping at an undisclosed location. So the whole time, whether you're totally good or to- totally evil in story sequences, John Marston just keeps saying, "Look, I don't care. I'll do whatever you want. Just." Make sure this, as long as nothing happens to my family, to the point where they use that as almost a crutch. I mean, because John Marston's dialogue is so good, and uh, because they're able to skirt, you know, like his goodness or evil, your uh, the player's good or evil actions uh, by sort of not bringing those up in story sequences, you get he'll sort of fit into any situation, and it's that's something that I've I've always found uh, lacking in other open world games. Like if you um. Why are characters being treated the exact same way, uh, regardless of the crazy things that you do around the world? And the, mm. the real strength of open world games is seeing the sort of open world live on its own as you're inhabiting it as a player, and seeing your how your character, like, like giving your character real efficacy, seeing how your actions and the choices that you make as playing as a character a certain way affect the world at large. And Infamous does it in a much, much more transparent way than other games. You, it, it's a superhero game where you can either be a terrorizing villain or a do-gooder hero. And if you like, as you walk through the street, if you're a hero, if you have high karma, like uh, the um, like passersby will 
will be like, oh man, it's, it's, it's him. And like, they'll take pictures of you and they'll applaud you. <laughs> but if, but if you're evil, they will, they will go running or they'll throw stones at you. It's, it's very, very black or white or, you know, like, like, you know, safe blue or deep red <laughs> based on the colors <laughs> of, the, of the meter. So it's, for a Final Fantasy game, it, really comes down to what you think a Final Fantasy story is, or at least should be. It's, I mean, if it's just a, you know, party of characters, save the world, crystals, and Bahamut are involved, then you probably could make a open world Final Fantasy game, you know, and, and it, and it could be alright. But if you, but if you really value those, you know, the JRPG traditionalism that most Final Fantasy games have, then making a transition into an open world game is a lot trickier. See, that kind of brings me to something that I've kind of thought about, not seriously, since I'm no gaming scholar, but um, the idea of, you know, generally categorizing things. Oh, uh, oh God. The, the, the internet is awful about that. So, <laughs> you know, the needing to assign something to a hard and fast genre is something that I've always had a problem with. I, I'm just not wired that direction, I don't think. Um, and that, you know kind of makes me think of the open world genre as just like anything else splintered into so many different facets um most mmos are also open world games yeah. by necessity they they have to be and so you don't have every single player jammed into the same thing trying to do the same thing all at the same time um without an actual world to speak of um you know most tabletop rpgs go that direction as well because the limits of the world are essentially what the dungeon master has in mind. Even then, you know, some other games have open world flavors like you guys were saying that, you know, go further up the spectrum towards total freedom or further to the spectrum of more story driven. You know, Minecraft is an open world game, much direction to go in in that, you know, even though they add things like experience and objectives and stuff like that. Um and I, for one, probably wouldn't ever play it that way, even if I had the full opportunity. Uh, something like GTA goes much more towards the uh, story-driven line of it. That is true. I mean, there is a tendency to over-categorize things, and the truth is there is a, a broad spectrum out there. But I think that, I think broadly speaking, and again, it's over-generalizing things, but there is a, a kind of broad perception that the more open world you get, the less of a uh, satisfying story you can have. I think that is borne out by a lot of stuff out there, but I don't yeah. think it has to be true. I think that's that's the the point we're getting to. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is something that you know every gaming conversation comes down to eventually, and it's even been said so far today is different strokes for different folks. Yeah, there should be room for everybody within that mantle. I think it's just a matter of finding that particular niche within the open world genre that you particularly like. That's right, but I think that the point is that, that that's an argument you could take if you were Square Enix for instance, and you could use it to sort of say well, we're going to make exactly the same game in a different hat that we've made for 15, 20, 25 years because that's our piece of the genre and that's what people like. And I kind of think that's a mistake. Because, yeah, there are people who are going to lap up everything they do. And it's like I've just said, I'll play new Super Mario Brothers if they keep turning them out. But <laughs> I wouldn't want that to be the only thing Nintendo was doing. And certainly not the main thing Nintendo was doing more to the point. I'd want them to be pushing 
uh, new directions and deeper directions for their main franchise. And by, I think, looking at the general trends in the gaming scene and the way more open world type stuff has taken off, not necessarily always completely open world, but you know, you're getting more elements of that into games in general a lot of the time, particularly RPGs. I well, think that would be a good direction to, to kind of, you know, as one possible avenue to explore. Yes, um, you guys are are not wrong in when in your uh, in. Oh, I I never am. Yeah, well, of course. When I think of the open world games that I play, and as opposed to just let's say a just a Japanese RPG or even a Western RPG with a just a very richly detailed world, I think that's I think those are two separate things, or at least I, I feel that they're two. I, I enjoy, or at least I feel they're two different things. There are plenty of Japanese and Western RPGs that have huge maps that you can, you know, travel freely between without without really changing screens, that will have hidden nooks and crannies everywhere, that uh have that are nonlinear and give you a degree of player freedom. But they but you're still confined to the same story path and your character doesn't affect the world around him in the same way I feel uh um an, like an open world game a, a game with like like a Skyrim does because in, yeah, in Skyrim in Skyrim every accomplishment that you do, uh, people react differently to those accomplishments. Like if they, if they, yeah. and for a Japanese RPG, even the one with the biggest most richly detailed world, uh, all that will happen where maybe the dialogue options of NPCs will change if you're at different points of the story. You don't have player freedom to change the world around you or to have people react to you in a in a largely different way in a in a way that's really tangible. And that's, I think, I think that's a real strength of the open world games I've liked the best. Yeah. Well, I, I want to go back to, uh, something that, uh, Tittles was saying a few seconds ago, cause, um, you know, talking about the open world games specifically in terms of a Square Enix type of situation is really what we're getting at here. And, uh, I think it's kind of interesting that they have at times tried to go both the paths that Tittles was talking about. They have done an open world game that is, you know, pretty different from their usual Final Fantasy offerings because it's a Final Fantasy MMO. Uh, they've done that twice now with 11 and 14, of course. From the flip side, and this is unfortunately the only other game in the numbered series that I've never touched, so uh, obviously I'm an awesome guest for this <laughs> conversation. Are you about, are you about to talk about 12? I am exactly. Yeah, I, I thought you were is, doing that before. Yeah. I, yeah. That that game uh, has been perennially labeled since its release as the most open world of any Final Fantasy game from the Prime series. Uh, hopefully, Laz, you've played it a little. bit. I have. I uh, can speak to that. I played it um, fairly recently, actually. I played it around a year or two ago for the first time because, like you, it was a long, sort of embarrassing part of my backlog that I never gotten around to. I don't know if FF12 is the best example. It has some things. That are common with op- open world games, like it has its um its field areas outside of towns are very wide, and uh, and th- there's no random battles. Like um, enemies sort of exist on the field, and you can encounter and and leave them and and fight very uh, very freely. And uh, and the town itself, the Rabanastre, is really lively, and um and your activity in the guilds in town can uh, can really change. Uh, your position within the town. It, it does some open world things, but it almost more feels like a, 
uh, like a Japanese um, monster hunter, god eater kind of game, where it's just you know big areas, big uh, big hunt targets, and then less like a it, ha- it it has similarities to an open world game, but its story is extremely linear, and the you don't really affect the world around you in a major optional way, like like the side quests are really look like one of those you know the, those Japanese hunting games. It's FF12 was good for a while. Like when I was sort of in the middle of it, it I was really really enjoying it because I was doing the optional content, I was uh, enjoying the dungeons, I was enjoying building up my characters. But then it hit a level where like the side quest design was really bad. It, like like you can uh, it, get, it you get all these materials and you can build all these weapons, but they don't even tell you what materials do what and and how to or how to get any rare things. Like I, I had to look up on. I wanted to build the sword. I had to. Look online and and get a one percent drop from an enemy that only appears during sandstorms in one part of the game. It's 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 so, <laughs> I've heard I've heard about yeah that. it's it's so esoteric in parts and so uh and and so sort of strange others. It can't decide whether it wants to be this open world side questathon or linear RPG. And the last couple dungeons, the plot moves in such bizarre rapid turns that it is just like what is even happening. <laughs> I, I've seen that NPC one other time before, and he seems really important. It's, uh, it, so I mean, I, I enjoyed it for a time, but ultimately I think it's, it's maybe the most confusing Final Fantasy game that I've played, which is 1 through 10 plus 12. Okay, so you, you haven't touched either of the MMOs? I have not, and I'm not sure how much, I'm, I don't know, if, I, I think MMOs are different from open world games, because MMOs, while the world can, is traversable and, uh, and open in a way, you don't really affect it around, uh, as a, as an individual, I mean, the world doesn't change in response to your actions, and it's true. Yeah, and MMOs, in some way, are the and most a, polar opposite to the concept. Because even though you, you kind of traverse the world, it, it almost everything you do, the world has to snap back into shape for everybody else. There's so much respawning and redoing things. And the and yeah, the objectives yeah. in the MMOs are extremely direct and linear. Oh, you have to mm. do this and get this, and you should do it in a party of at least three. It's like, and that's almost every quest objective in in that kind of game. That kind of creates um, an interesting question because when you look at it through that lens, you know, we just talked about two different ways in which Square Enix tried to address the open world concept uh, with the Final Fantasy series. And the upshot from both of them seemed to be that they weren't really grabbing what we think of as an open world game in either instance. You know, people don't really think of MMOs as open world in the same way that a a GTA is. For what you're for the reason you're just saying, Laz, you know, or both of you were just saying really that you, that you can't really have an impact on the world around you as you do it. Final Fantasy 12 went the other direction in so much as you had a significant amount of impact in the world that was around you, but most of the open world type stuff actually pretty much happened in a vacuum. You know, you were doing these side quests and getting these quest uh, rewards out of doing it, but that didn't actually have any impact in the world. Your actions plot-wise did, but the stuff that you did just for fun didn't touch anything. If you go back to Red Dead Redemption where you started, that's not a million miles away, because for all your... um, The world reacts to you, but the plot doesn't, in a way. Um, you still end up in the same situation at the end of that game, uh, regardless of whether you were a nice guy or a bad guy. And um, I, I, I guess... It's going to be a little of, actually, um, although it is not 
in any way an open world game, Bioshock Infinite is kind of plot-wise addresses the idea that uh, there are a million different possible scenarios, but ultimately certain fixed points will always come about that, you know, that have a particular result and a particular impact. And even in, in almost any open world game with a strong plot, there are still elements of that. There always seem to have to be unavoidable moments that drive things along that keep you interested because there are kind of, I guess, you always need to have some kind of scripted story. Otherwise, you do get so far off piece that you become a, a Minecraft and, and there just isn't a kind of an overarching thing. Well, it makes so, any sense. I feel like well, I'm sort of wobbling. I, <laughs> I believe you just made the argument that you can't change a fixed point in time. Pretty much. <laughs> and you realize uh, how appropriate it is for you to be making that argument. Of course. Yeah. It, it's a Doctor Who reference oh, out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, well, I, but back to FF12 really quick. I think that when Square Enix endeavored to make an open-world RPG, they took the phrase open-world and they just decided, let's just have a ton of optional side quests and make the walk-around areas really big and wide and vast. And that they sort of left it there and had the plot extremely linear for the most part. But I, I think of open world games as more of a living world. Like you're, um, there's like the world's always, you know, is it's going through its cycles in a certain way. You affect it with your actions. You can, uh, you're able to, you're able to make there's some level of player choice that affects the main story, even if it, even if it's not, you know, catastrophic. The choices aren't catastrophic or every single one's world changing. And I and I think in a Final Fantasy game could do that even if it was just a sort of open world RPG with Final Fantasy trappings. And I would like to, I'd like to, I would love to play a game like that, but I I it really hasn't happened. I don't think you can call FF 11, 12 or 14 an open world Final Fantasy game. I mean, okay. talking well, about open world in that sense in the sense of um your actions in the plot having uh, a knock-on effect. It's sort of, in a way, a bit bizarre that we haven't mentioned them yet, but the, the kings of that for me are Bioware, and both Dragon Age Oranges and the Massive Egg series are, you know, prime examples of uh, not so much open world in a way, but open character, open plot, and, you know, branching plots, right. and your choices having an effect. If you think about... Dragon Age Origins and the, the possible scenarios at the end of that game. Uh, there's one guy, you might chop his head off, you might effectively make him, keep him being the um, regent, or he might be disgraced and join your party. There's any number of things. There's, your well, your I mean, mate could be a king, he could be dead, he could be... There's all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, let me hop in there just for a second and say that if you did not bat an eye at him calling it Dragon Age Oranges or Massive <laughs> Eggs, that means you've been around Khan for a long time. <laughs> but hopefully you know what I meant. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could see a Final Fantasy game done like Dragon Age Origins. Dragon Age Origins basically has sort of the opening scenario that that throws you into the main quest. Then it has sort of six segments of the main quest, most of which have a big decision that can affect the entire world at the end of it. And then it sort of hurdles to its conclusion with the, uh, with the stuff that, um, uh, with the stuff leading up to the trial and the, and yeah. the final boss battle. So it, 
it, even though I um I think Dragon Age Origins has a lot of open world characteristics, it's still basically it has its it has its path and its des- destination just with like you mentioned a lot of a lot of yeah. interesting branches on the way a final fantasy game like that could could be pretty cool but i'm it, it's almost not the japanese way well here's I, what i, I wonder though square have obviously worked with other parties before and um are you saying you want bioshock to make final fantasy 16 no, I'm saying I want Bioware to make Final Fantasy. Oh, oh yeah, Bioware. Well, I'm not necessarily saying I want somebody else to make <laughs> Final Fantasy, but you know, if you think about Chrono Trigger, that was one of uh, Square's really historically most beloved games, and that was a collaboration with a different studio that ironically is now the other half of Square oh. anyway. You're getting people with a different viewpoint on the genre and integrating that and making something slightly different as a result. And Square as a publisher is pretty big these days, and they're buying up all sorts of people. Um, there's a lot of Western studios in there, and I'm sure some of them have got some pretty neat ideas on open-world concepts. I mean, you look at Sleeping Dogs is obviously a GTA-ish game with a plot in it that you might consider open-world-ish. It's probably not in the sense of plot and the way, in the sense of the world reacting to you in the way we've discussed, but it's an example of maybe, uh, you know, you get involved with a western studio get some some ideas on board and maybe uh, do some collaboration in how you want the kind of structure of a game to go just an experiment to see what happens why not yeah um and i think i think all this leads us up to like the one big question around this topic and Octa-hoo. the question is <laughs> but we all know that now it's peter capaldi um <laughs> The the big question in terms of this very topic, though, is would you want to see them try it, and how would they go about doing it? I think Tittles just threw one of those things right out there on the table. Uh, perhaps Square Enix take... Uh, I, I can't say it like Enix. I know Enix, that's the way you're, you're really? supposed to pronounce it, but Enix. I'm going to pronounce... Yeah, I actually, for the first time, just heard that uh, about a week ago yeah. in a trailer video. I heard them pronouncing it Enix. And yeah, I was like, oh, I guess that's right, but uh, I don't care. Enix, in in Enix, Street Enix. Fighter 2, on, in the arcades in Super Turbo, the announcer for Balrog says, Balrog! So, make it that way, Will. Um, yes, I'm going to make that completely irrelevant and move on. I mean, because uh, they say it that way. Marked for right. deletion in the final cut. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I really was, like what you mentioned there though titles um you know the final fantasy property is a thing and it has its own you know sort of tropes to it and i think that if a western studio maybe made a game in which the the basic plot outline and perhaps the art assets and things like that came from the mothership but more of the fleshing out of how it all came together ended up being more of a western production Maybe the company could make something uh, that is open-worldy and feels more like a better fit in an open-world sort of game than anything they've done before. I mean, I think even leaving aside the open-world stuff, having collaborating a bit more with some Western studios and just sitting in a room with designers from both sides of the pond thinking about it, they might be more likely to just put something together that in many subtle ways appeals more to uh, a broader Western audience, which seems to be something they're keen to do. Yeah, I... It, it, I don't know. It could work. It would, they would have... I, I imagine they would be, 
you know, um, collaborating with a Western studio. But does this sound? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, fan, a Final Fantasy pitch to you. Let's see if this sound does this sound totally crazy. Oh no, the yes. crystals are in trouble. They're in these six kingdoms. You should go and find a way to save them. Boom. That that's something, right? So that's yeah, pretty much I mean, the first Elder Scrolls, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the funny thing is, the first thing that popped into my head when you just made that pitch was that it could be a Final Fantasy Mega Man game. <laughs> I, I think Mega Man makes everything better, so of course I don't object to this. It's not even it's not even that far removed from a, from Secret of Mana to be. No, that's, that's yeah, an yeah. excellent point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I now that we're talking about it a little bit, um, I'm kind of forming this thing in my head where maybe there's a way to boil down what we think of as a Final Fantasy, or you know, we haven't touched upon it, but we we can throw a Dragon Quest in there too. We're not going to really talk about it, but um, the principle would be the same, just with a different set of parameters. I think you can boil down a Final Fantasy experience to an extent where maybe you could have a kernel that you could develop around if you wanted to make an, an open-world game around it. But if you get those things from Square themselves, you could build from that and still come up with something that feels kind of Final Fantasy-ish, but could have some very different uh, mechanics to it, um, whether that's an open-world game or, you know, a tactical RPG like they've done in the past. Do you think that if they just took some time to package that up, they could make something that appeals to the open world gamer, but still feels like a Final Fantasy. I don't see why not. Yeah. The point yeah. I always do. You feel that they have the skill set to distill their own brand well enough here's to the, do here's that. Here's the thing. The point I keep going back to is that, in my view, they should stop trying to make a good Final Fantasy and start trying to make a good game. Just forget about it and start and just make something you really think is cool and you really want to make it. And don't worry about the tropes. And I think the the kind of company culture and history will just naturally provide the sort of tropes that they would need to get that going. And maybe talking to some other people elsewhere would get some new ideas mixed in with that. I just think, as I have tied everybody out by saying over and over again, they've got stuck into this kind of idea of we've got to make another success in the vein of FF7. And so they're always trying to shoot for that kind of they're trying to hit something that they're kind of missing all the bits in between rather than just trying to make something good in its own right. You know, it's um, this is a small digression, but it's funny that you mentioned that you think they should uh, uh, allow uh, new new ideas to enter. Square Enix did just launch its crowdfunding service, which is called the Square Enix Collective. <laughs> they did say that a few IDOS and possibly Square Enix properties could be available for people to... Uh, for people to work on. I think they're open to some new ideas and experimentation. I, I think the, the Square Enix that made Final Fantasy XIII would not even dream of making our dream open-world Final Fantasy that we're skirting around. But maybe the 2014 Square Enix would at least think about it. They're, you know, they're more open to, to, idea, to ideas than, than the Square Enix of old. Again, not having known about that, that sounds like a pretty awesome way to maybe go about this. Uh, you know, I, I think... I think what we're getting to in all of this conversation, whether we really realized it or not, I think we're kind of getting to the fact that, like so many things, an infusion of fresh blood might make the difference for Squeenix right now. Uh, 
perhaps that is a, you know, a Kickstarter sort of method. Perhaps that is leveraging one of the studios that they already own or already have a publishing relationship with. Maybe it's not even an open world game. But I think, uh, in terms of the conversation of open world games and how awesome they can be when done right, uh, I think we've kind of come to the consensus that if they, you know, kind of stopped hemming and hawing about, as Tittle said, trying to find just, like, the next great Final Fantasy VII, if they just put some resources into analyzing this from all the angles that we just did, seems like they could come up with something pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You have to always be a little careful. <laughs> Consensus on the Comcast! You have to Sorry. always be a little careful of uh, ending up with that design by committee feel of uh, thinking too hard about it, which I kind of worry yeah. about maybe that's how FF13 came about to begin with, like, Let's think of all the things that people like in Final Fantasy. And then we'll take all those things and we'll sort of stitch them together. And that's a game. Um, the, the, you need to kind of, you need to grab some people in that room who just have a passion and a vision and just, you know, let something come out of it. And I think there'll be, you'll kind of naturally end up with the, the sort of, um, the final fantasy ishness by the kind of surroundings of of the kind of company you're making it in the history there. If you just kind of work to to a vision, I would just like that vision to be something a bit more interesting than another straightforward anime-esque story. Yeah. Well, you know, since we've actually hit consensus for once in our lives, let's cut it off there. Concast uh, is over forever. We have agreed. Thanks for supporting us through the first 20 episodes of the Concast. As always, we're Caves of Narsh, and you can find us at cavesofnarsh.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, or via our news or Concast RSS feeds. On the way out today, you're listening to the shop theme from Final Fantasy 1, specifically the remastered version for Final Fantasy Origins on PlayStation. Thanks again for listening, and talk to you again soon. <laughs>